Hello and welcome to The Nightcap, life behind the Michelin star, a late night lock-in where some of the best chefs in the country candidly discuss and debate all things culinary over a few drinks. However, today it's not so much late at night, more very early doors, coffee in hand, and it's light outside, that's a first for us. It is, it's uh, it's very, very unusual. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but we are sat upstairs at Salt. and today's an Ask Us Anything podcast, a chance for you to send us your questions and we'll just have at it and see how long we go for. Um, I can't help but feel we need to talk about the latest announcement firstly. Yeah, how can so, we avoid that? Yeah, so obviously this is Thursday that you guys will have downloaded this um, on the 24th of September. It's Wednesday 23rd now. Last night was the announcement that there's a curfew for pubs, clubs, restaurants, 10pm. Unpick this. What are we? What is going on? What? Um, how do we? Well, I'll be as honest as ever. Go on. I expect it's, nothing less, mate. It's absolute bullshit. It's absolute <laughs> bullshit. I can, I can, I can look at it objectively and see how maybe like for pubs or wet-led businesses, mm-hmm. how this is not a, a good, not a great idea because it's only an hour. But I can see where the the thought process is coming from. But restaurants to be categorised the same is ridiculous. Yeah. There's a grey area of, like, your Weatherspoons places where they are wet-led, but they could say they're a restaurant mm-hmm. because yeah, of the yeah, way of they operate. Yeah. But for me, I think they should... Well, they, you know, Another way, potentially, that it could be looked at is how your licence is. If you have just a drinks licence or if you have a drinks licence like we do where you can, you can only drink if you're eating... No, oh, Weatherspoons, you can go in for a drink. You've got? I didn't realise that that was yeah, a Yeah, a lot of restaurants have that. Some yeah. have where you can... It depends on the property as well, mm-hmm. really. But if they looked at it like that, I'm not saying that's a perfect fix, but that would make things better, mm-hmm. really. Because you can't just come in here, stand at the bar and have a drink. No, that's true, yeah. You, you know, you have to be ordering food, and we only serve yeah. large menus of food. So we don't have interaction. Tables talk to each other from a distance now and yeah, again. Exactly. But yeah, we're totally different to a pub, as are most restaurants. Even like your big chain restaurants. And I've eaten out a lot since it's been opened up in chain places, little places like us. And, you know, so many places are really following procedures and doing things properly. And mm-hmm. you stay, in, stay on your table, you stay in your lane, yeah. and it's... It's not Fine. really an issue, so it's yeah. a bit of a it's bit of a shocker, the teeth, isn't it? It is a kick in the teeth after all the prep you guys have done to get ready to this point, and you, yeah. I, I suppose, in a way, started to get used to what life was like now, yeah, and comfortable with that. So, and it was such a curveball. We were saying earlier, weren't we? Like there was no rumours of this, no, 10 p.m. curfew. It came absolutely out of nowhere. So yes, Sky News dropped it at like what 11 o'clock or something on when, Monday night. When does it come in? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. So we've, oh my god! I you know, we were we were full this week, a new full. We were basically seventy percent occupancy with our distancing. Yeah, um, we have to lose another. The like we're losing thirty percent of that, so it's not another thirty taking us down to forty. We're essentially going to be about fifty percent occupancy oh, of what man. we were pre-COVID. Yeah, which is just a, a fucker. So we've we. We always have turned one or two tables. Um, with this, we turned three sometimes four tables and it worked for us you still had three hours three hours 15 minutes to have your eight courses yeah, and tables time, in at yeah. 9 15 9 30 eight course again so we've had to cancel all those tables like oh, this friday that's this so, saturday that's awful for you and also for all those people that are looking forward to coming exactly you know, yeah because so it's not as simple lose. as just moving them earlier because yeah. we've got tables in and i don't want people you know people listening thinking yeah but coronavirus is really serious of course it is like oh, yeah. that's not the point but like Absolutely. we were saying when we were downstairs you know i 
coming into salt as much as I have for podcast recordings and to eat here, there are only fewer tables the later it goes anyway, because yeah. people finish early. Exactly. So there's even more space. Mm. You're not stood at the bar. It literally would not impact you at all yeah. to be open till 1am. It, it would There would be no less risk, more risk to people. No, exactly. Here, which is so frustrating. And yes, people do get drunk, not crazy drunk. It's a restaurant, but they're sat at their table. They yeah. might go to the toilet. Yeah, but that's it. That's they don't it. wander around and sit with other guests. It just no, doesn't true. happen. It's yeah. a, it's not a, it's not a pub. And and yeah, I do. Like the first the first lockdown, I took I took very seriously, and I understood it. Yeah, it's a pain, but I did. I could look at it and be like, well, this is a bigger picture. It's not just about us. Mm-hmm. But this, it's like you're knocking an hour off. Yeah. And I think some of the public probs don't understand how much of an effect that has on us. Yeah. Um, and it is it's about 30% of our revenue we're going to lose so tough so sorry to hear that and I'm sure there'll be loads of people in a similar boat but you know fingers crossed either people can adjust and adapt or things might change quicker than we hope Yeah. at the minute they're saying six months aren't they but we don't know whether that will be six months or whether it will change last week they were telling us to get back to the office and go to prep that's that's so true oh man changes so Yeah. and last month it was eat out to help out now it's drink up and fuck off <laughs> wow how quickly things we're already going do you remember you out to have the good old days of you out to help out we're already saying that aren't we okay right let's crack on with ask us anything Th- thanks so much to everyone that has sent in questions via Instagram Twitter Facebook at the nightcap underscore pod on all those platforms um, interact with us and also when we do our, our normal guest episodes we're asking those guests questions too so always send them in you never have to stop it's a win-win situation for everyone so let's kick things off obviously a lot of these questions are going to be more aimed at you than me but I'll try and dib in when I can okay yeah we can bounce some back at you I reckon okay cool so first one here we've got from uh, at the night with a chef blog who asks what's Paul's favourite dish that he's ever put on salt's menu so what's your favourite dish Oh, you see, I'm going to ask you that as well. What, okay. what favourite dish you've ever had at Salt? Um, so I'll give you a bit of time to think of it. Um, it's so hard to say because I get bored so quick. So at first, like the carrot dish was my favourite because it was it was pretty unique. It was cool. Everyone's loving it, and I yeah. loved it. it became um, a bit of a signature for you, actually, didn't it? Yeah, and uh, like now it's been done so much. It's like it's not boring, but it's it's done. Mm. You, you know what I mean? So every time we change the menu, the new dishes. If I'm really into them they're my favourite yeah. so at the moment we're doing like an aged beef tartare with a beef fat mayonnaise like with some truffle in it and yeah. then um, a roasted artichoke puree and this artichoke puree takes like about six hours to make wow um, so we barbecue the artichokes in their skins chop them down do you do it like, on one of those Japan, little Japanese barbecues yeah little yeah. conros yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. they're amazing aren't they amazing it just brings this depth and this slight smokiness mm-hmm. and then yeah chop them down and just caramelise them all the way down they just keep them and they keep them cooking all the way down until they reach this like like chewy really dark they look you can ruined. spread that on, ch- on toast oh, you? and yeah. you'd be happy just it's for that yeah, yeah. amazing and then we um, you know, blend it with some stock and Horlicks big spoon of Horlicks no way yeah seriously yeah H- Horlicks and artichokes are a winner I've done it for years yeah what is Horlicks well, it's what? a malt drink isn't it so yeah. it's like milk and malt and is stuff. that all it is in it I've never so, really yeah. known what is actually in the substance. Well, the main thing is like... the malt malt flavour it's quite a light yeah. malt flavour and it sort of helps you sleep so artichoke crisps are on this dish as well and we dust them in Horlicks when they nice. come out of the fryer season on Horlicks on them yeah. and I tell guests and I love telling them because yeah. they think like god you're using Horlicks <laughs> yeah. but yeah oh, it's amazing because you I 
picture the little tub of Horlicks that my gran had. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. what I picture as soon as you say Horlicks. And that's what it is, that's yeah. And we just, literally, we take it, normally you let it down with water, don't you? We put it in the puree. We just sprinkle it over the crisps, over the Yarchoke crisps. Amazing. It's a winner. That's yeah. beautiful. Winner, winner. Yeah, I've got, I mean, obviously, like, I've had the carrot dish the most times mm-hmm. because it's been on the menu the most. Um, but actually, one, one that sticks out to me um, is actually one that you gave us up here. Uh, oh, right, which okay. is the one with the bonfire mayo. Yeah. Um, and I think you served it with a leg, a crispy leg. It was a whole, and it had the foot on still. Oh, the, um, no, no, actually. I like, I yeah, I think, you've, I think you've merged well, two, merged yeah. Two. That, what I give you was like a sort of a KFC pigeon leg. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, you gave us that. that yeah, the, the bonfire mayo, that was with a venison tartare. Oh, it was. With salt baked right. swede. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and it. crispy rye bread. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that mayo, I just remember tasting it thinking, because as soon as you see that on a menu, you think you know what that's going to taste like but it's also a bit intriguing because it's not a, it's not a food bonfire met you know yeah so when you taste it and it does li- it does live up to that it has that and because it's attached to nostalgia mm. and you know having a sort of smoky pork bat by a bonfire oh, in november delicious. like all of that that it's just and, then, and it uh, was winter time and yeah i remember you you Ollie and Haley all got yeah, stuck into yeah, it and yeah. loving it, yeah. Yeah, it's great. The other one, which I didn't have because it was, uh, my dad had it, um, was, it was, I think it was trout, which you had with gooseberries on the dish. I've yeah. spoken about this before. Yeah. Where my dad, who grew up in Lincolnshire, he'd picked gooseberries and eaten them loads as a kid mm. and had never really had them much since because it's hard to get good ones, I guess. Um, and yeah. he ate that and straight away he said to me, just like almost involuntarily, he was just like, oh my God, this just reminds me of picking gooseberries as a kid yeah and I, I love that food can do that yeah like. it's just and that's it's involuntary isn't it it just mm. takes you somewhere instantly like a smell can yeah you just instantly think of that so that and that felt really special because that was dad's first ever time in a Michelin star restaurant and yeah he got that and he related to it yeah, yeah and that was that was winning for me that I got a lot of which is ironic mm. but my, one of my favourite dishes I didn't even have I just watched someone else eat <laughs> yeah. it but that, I think it reminds me of when, uh, when Pete I think it was it Pete Sanchez said he just was sat watching you eat when you guys went yeah, to France. It was, was the monkfish dish, yeah. yeah. And he, he got so much pleasure just watching my sex face eating that food. <laughs> yeah, so good. Okay, cool. Next one here from Ben, who asks, how do you get into a Michelin kitchen with zero experience at Michelin level? Tough question, that. I um, I th- a lot easier than people think, mm. really. I think some people overthink it and... It's probably easier if I tell you where people go wrong. Like if you're working at an average or below average place yeah. as a sous chef, don't try and go into a Michelin level or Michelin star restaurant as a sous chef. I know it sounds quite simple, but it happens a lot. Why? Because if the place isn't that good, and like Michelin obviously is a standard mm-hmm. generally, and it's pretty much always right, and yeah. you work to different levels, you're not a sous chef at both places yeah. it's just a fact really right, okay. um, the reasons a lot of them do it and I used to have it I used to have it a lot when when we was at SATS we used to get a lot of quite good excited young lads come in they'd got a job in a pub and they'd made head chef by 21 and they paid what well, 21 is a good age mm. but they get to 25 26 they're still on that wage they're still in that pub and they're like yeah. well okay I want to go and work in Michelin now yeah. they come to us and it's a well you, commie yeah, and they're like, no, no, I can't afford that wage. It's well, you ha- you have to go back again, oh, and it's not a that. backward step. 
it's not it's a different ladder yeah it is ceiling. it's like a sideward yeah. sideward step yeah, because yeah. if you are good you'll get promoted quickly anyway mm-hmm. but you can't just come in as even if you're a head chef and if you're a head chef in a crappy pub um, and you want to go into Michelin you're generally going to be looking at commie or chef de party at most depending on the size of the team yeah. but the, the best thing to do is just it's, it's attitude and hard work that's how you get the job and if you're a sous chef somewhere that's quite good you might get chef de party at certain Michelin star restaurants will you look at those places like someone gives you a CV and it says went to this pub and went to this and you hunt the, are you googling those places oh, straight away of course away? yeah yeah especially because generally you've not heard of them mm-hmm. and you do get you know you get the ones where the journeyman chefs and they've, they've worked in every pub in the area and you'll see it on their CV they've yeah. done a year there year there year there year there and then they're deciding to try and take this step up and yeah. you have to look at it and it's hard to take it seriously sometimes because it's like okay you've had 10 jobs in yeah. you know 5 years in the same little area uh, I don't think you're right for us but it is it's attitude and most of the chefs I've had here have not worked in Michelin oh, you know when Laura and Laura and Gibbo, they started with me from the start. They're still here now. Neither of them had worked in Michelin before. Yeah. Um, but they had the right attitude, the hard working, and they started from scratch with me, so we built it into what it is. That's amazing. And I've had a few other chefs come and go in between. None of them had worked at Michelin. I've got a young girl now who, who has, um, but she's like the lowest in the kitchen. But no, it's not like the, as great it is for your CD, it's, it's not going to get you in. Right to Michelin there's a lot more things that I personally think of first like attitude hard work skill yeah um, you know. of course you test that out a little bit when they come yeah an interview, we come and do a trial yeah do a trial and stuff do you ever look at qualifications is that ever a thing or like where they went to catering college or whatever not really no no unless they're um, if they're coming in absolute bottom of the ladder if they've been to college then you'll discuss it because that's all you've all that's relevant to yeah. them but oh, other than that one. yeah do you ever get someone fresh out of catering college super young and they come straight to this level asking for a job yeah sometimes you, you get some that think they're above it really they think yeah I'm chef the party wow. or something and it, yeah, absolutely not at all <laughs> no so way you're not in many places let alone like somewhere like this mm-hmm. um yeah, so you, yeah, you do you do get that a lot, and it's great to see when they come in. They've done a few years at college, and they want to come and start at the bottom here, um, and they're the ones that will move up quicker. Yeah, like yeah, that. and so I think I think it's the humble. best way to go. you kind of go in under the radar as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I always did that on a few jobs in early years. Like when I went to Sats, I I believed I was good enough to be the sous chef, but I hadn't been the sous chef at Michelin level. I'd worked in two star Michelin, one star uh, as well, and. I, I said, well, if I go in as a sous chef, there's an expectation straight away. But if I go in as chef to party, like mm-hmm. like they've offered, I can prove myself yeah. and then get the job. And it always looks better yeah, under the radar. So right. Prove yourself, and I was promoted within two months. Lower expectations, and then you can just like smash it out. Exactly. Yeah, nice one. Good advice, then, mate. Uh, one here from John Bowler who said, "How did you guys meet, and how did the podcast start?" We've never really explained this. On we the- haven't, no. I think Tinder, we should tell them. Uh, Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, so it, is, it sort of just happened in a way, but we, um, uh, I've always lo- I've always loved food and really been into it, and it's something me and my girlfriend Haley share, and Haley does all of the social media for this podcast, and we've gone to some lovely places, and one day we were on a massive walk through town, we walked past Salt, and we'd been once and eaten here and I said to hey we were chatting and I was just like I'd love to do a podcast where we just talk to Michelin star chefs about food but not in a TV way Mm. and what I meant by that at the time was just like 
this sort of slightly you know I'm not belittling these shows because they're massive and they are um, they serve a huge purpose and they've got massive cut through but they're very sort of like a bit stagey safe in conversation mm. obviously because it's not normally daytime television and I just wanted to tell you a bit because I knew the characters of chefs yeah uh, there's so much more to feast upon here with them and there's not really much out there at the time at least I mean there's still some good podcasts out there that I really rate but it just felt like there was a gap yeah there and so the next time I, Hayley and I came in, I sort of said to you, like, half, you know, and, and then you, I, you've, I think, listened to a podcast that I was doing with Yeah, Ollie, I used to listen to that exec, every week, yeah. Our exec producer. And my background is radio, and me, uh, Ollie, who's our exec producer, me and him still do a daily show on Capital right now. But we sort of just approached Paul for a coffee and said, look, we've got this idea. You were quids in already because you love podcasting in general, but felt mm. like there wasn't anything like this. Yeah, and we'd, the three of us had built up a bit of a friendship yeah. as well. And um, you have missed out a very important part of the oh, story. What, oh, what, what bit? The first time we actually oh, met. Oh, shit, yeah. I Who did you say this? I looked yeah, like? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> we, we came to dinner and I, I was It was like, the first time you came, wasn't it? I, yeah. we, were in the, we were in the middle. <laughs> Sorry. Of, no, do not apologise. We were in the middle of binging Game of Thrones and I was, you know, it just consumes you, doesn't it? And I was looking over at Paul and I was like, God, he looks like Samuel Tarly from Game of Thrones. <laughs> but in a be- better looking and slimmer than Samuel Tarly. But um, that then got back, uh, and I said it on the radio, didn't yeah. I, I think? And then that got back to you. <laughs> Awkwardness ensued, but then it all turned out for the best. Exactly, and, and that's yeah. that's sort of how it happened. And we, we got on with the pilot pretty quickly, because then we got Callum Franklin, didn't we, as the first one. Yeah, that's and right. And we weren't even sure whether we were necessarily going to release that. It was just a, let's test it and see how it goes. And it felt yeah. like we just... Like without sounding big-headed, but it felt like it was exactly what we wanted it to exactly. be. Exactly, we didn't away. need to like meet up and change anything. No, because you guys—I remember you guys came to me here in like the September, and we had a chat, and I was like, "This sounds great." Because mm. yeah, it wasn't like looking for interview, it wasn't looking for highbrow conversation like um, like the food show. I think is great and it has great content, but sometimes a bit highbrow for chefs, and you don't get to the nitty-gritty and the personality. Yeah, um, yeah, so. It was December, start of December, so we only went from September to December yeah. to recording the pilot. Yeah, right, yeah, it was yeah. quite a quick turnaround. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But did it hit the ground running straight yeah. away? It just, and then before you knew it, we were just into it as if we'd always been doing it. I know, yeah, it was really weird. It's <laughs> great, but yeah. So that's how it all started. Um, okay, next one from Rasmus Bundgard Nielsen. Hope that's his real name. That's cracking. How do you... Oh, we're going deep now, mate. How do you mm. think the British restaurant scene will recover after COVID? If you'd have asked me two days ago, I would have given you a completely yeah, different answer. So true. I, I genuinely would have. Yeah. But I'm not in a negative space now, but... We summed it up a bit at the beginning, I suppose, didn't we? It's sort of hard to say. Pretty yeah. Hard to predict. It looks bleak. Mm. This is going to affect places a lot more than they realise. I think, I think some you had to put money on it, do you think the government will have to do some sort of... They've, they've, they've got to do something. I don't know what. I don't think. Per, well, for us personally, obviously, I mean, looking at it from our point of view, furlough would work because that extra hour. Yeah, we're losing a chunk of revenue, but the workload isn't going to be massively different. It's mm-hmm. like it's going to take an hour or two off the top of their day. Yeah, but it's not enough for me to lose a waiter and a chef or something. I just, I still, I can't, I can't do that. We're at skeleton staff as it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's not furlough because that I can't, I can't do it. So it's, they need to do something mm-hmm. and it's going to affect different places differently. I think town center bars are going to get hit. Um, town center restaurants, restaurants like us are going to get hit like small, um, 
independence like this and big big independence I think little pubs I don't think it's going to make a massive difference like personally like the one yeah. over the road here yeah, they're yeah, quiet true. and down by 10 anyway just yeah. with the nature of how things are uh-huh. um, and they used to be open quite late but they just don't at the moment so I don't think it'd be massive for some yeah do you think the in terms of like uh, he's asked in, in this question about recovering afterwards obviously no one knows when that'll be it could yeah. be in six months could be a year like who knows but do you think the sort of slight saving grace is it won't co- take much convincing to get people out again uh, I don't think it will um I mean, like, is there a been... sense of if the day that comes mm-hmm. where it's like right everything's back to normal do you think you'll just go straight back to being as busy as you used to be I, I think we will yeah I think we That's will good. because we're such a niche place yeah um, like with anything like with a recession or like this very different to a recession but anything extreme mm. It's always the mid market that gets hit the worst. Yeah, always so is true. because like a mid market is not providing anything unique. Yeah, and it's somewhere you might go to three times a month. Yeah, um, you might limit that to once a month or once every two months. Yeah, true. You know, bottom sure end you- of the market, you just keep going because it's cheap. High end of the market, people with money have still got money. Yeah, special occasions. Yeah. You might come here once a year, and yeah. you're not going to sacrifice your once a year one. So, I, I don't think it will have an issue at this end of the market once mm-hmm. it is is sorted and that's been proved already because as soon as we open back up we've been full yeah I know I can't believe, I think within like a, a few days fall. I remember yeah. in a chat with you and you were saying how um, there was like a random lunchtime you were full and you, you were sort of over the moon because you were like I didn't expect to go back to that so quickly yeah. people are clearly there eager to get back and do it yeah and exactly that, that strikes of something extraordinary that's not a recession is it yeah. it's just this weird thing that happens to be going on on the side yeah. we're wanting to spend and wanting to go back to normal as soon as possible yeah, isn't it? there's been a lot of surveys done uh, but they're too broad really to sort of see how they'll affect all different areas of the market where uh, uh, anecdotally like 40 to 50% of people are not comfortable to return to restaurants yet again that is what will hit the mid-market not us I think it's way high. too broad they've just sort yeah, of yeah. however they've done these surveys I don't know but yeah, yeah. tough to say mm. okay Joe asks would you ever consider doing a crossover episode of the podcast with off menu I mean I don't know I've never even thought about that sort of thing no <laughs> I haven't either I mean I know all all of us that are involved in this we're all quite open to mm-hmm. moving it forward if it fits fits what we do open for threesomes foursomes <laughs> any, any version of this we should uh, put the nightcap on tinder <laughs> yeah. actually one one good question uh, sort of like extrapolated from this for me is we've talked about having non-foodies on yeah as a potential um, and obviously I mean off menu I've, I've not li- I know you've listened to a few yeah, I've listened to a couple it's James yeah. Acaster and a gamble isn't it but yeah it's, it's pretty funny yeah uh, and it is a comedy podcast first probably and then it just happens to be about food rather yeah, than being that's about the, the sort industry. of driver isn't it yeah, yeah. Um, but like people like them I suppose they would be good guests but I you know, Alex James was the first one for us where we had a proper conversation of look, we've got this guy who is clearly heavily involved in food because he's a manufacturer of award-winning cheese. He's mm-hmm. got one of the biggest food festivals, music festivals in the in the UK. Yeah, he's not a chef, but it felt like an okay fit for us, and we got no backlash from that. No, I think because he genuinely loves food, yeah. and you could tell by how much he loved eating here Absolutely. and loves cheese. So that love for me has to be there yeah definitely and the more I thought about it I thought I, you, we can never run out of chefs no but I can see if we were to still be going series 7, 8, 9 mm. it could be more loose yeah uh, if we, you're right we get those people that maybe are in the public eye but have a genuine connection to food in some way or 
love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think he's open to that. Don't definitely. see why not. Yeah. I think our goal is to try and get David Beckham. I think we've both agreed that that yeah. he clearly loves his food. Yeah, he gets on with Gordon. Yeah, he yeah, constantly his Instagram about it. I think that's legitimate. And he lives but in the Cotswolds. We so. need to get him on when social distance is over, so I can be close to him. <laughs> I need to smell it. Yeah. I need to smell that <laughs> Beckhamy musk. Okay, uh, next one here from David Entwistle. Uh, how honest? Oh, I love this. Okay, how honest can you really be when commenting on fellow chefs' food? Depends, <laughs> I always depends I, on how you know them. <laughs> yeah, I, I always feel a little bit awkward when I say to the chefs at the beginning straight away, like, "How was dinner?" As if they're <laughs> ever going to say, "Meh." Could have been better. Yeah, <laughs> like they're never going to. But do you ever? Is there a bit of a song and dance there? Not really. Um, I don't recall personally going to a chef that I know's restaurant and having something quite bad where I've been in the experience of where I have to lie. Ah, uh, okay. Um, That's good. Because for one, they know the levels of these chefs so technically is it going to be bad mm-hmm. and that's all you personally I think that's all you can really criticise each other on is the technical is that overcooked is that cold is that undercooked or yeah, yeah. you know or is that badly prepped you know what I mean Th- those technical abilities like flavour combinations are within reason quite personal mm-hmm. um, so it's more about you know I could say to you know chefs I'm friends with it's like oh it's lovely but it just wasn't for me it just wasn't you know there's nothing yeah. wrong with that you know if you covered something in Stilton mm-hmm. there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it but it's not for me Paul Foster hates it yeah. exactly <laughs> so, but that's, that's not me criticising them yeah. but I'd be honest enough and to be like I don't you know, it's not not do you for think me. You, yeah, do you think you could if someone fucked it somehow? Do you think if it was a if it was someone in the industry, even if they were like mission and level, would you say something? Depends who it is. Really? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah, I think mostly mostly I could, and it's not like I think it's how you deliver it, isn't it? If you're not a, yeah, if yeah. you're not a knob about it, <laughs> yeah. mate. Oh shit, sorry. Yeah, yeah come on. What are you doing? Go <laughs> cook fish. What about with your team when they're like cooking stuff, like even staff dinners, or like they they've gone, oh, Paul, I want to show you something that I've done. I've I spent some time, and I mm. think I've got something here. Will you be super honest? Yeah, I think it's the best way because especially you have to be with your team. Yeah, because you know you need you're trying to coach them and mm-hmm. and teach them. And yeah, I've, we've had some issues with staff dinners down the line, and I'll be very honest about how important staff dinner is, and it's got to be good and tasty. We've had some shockers, not necessarily here, but really? in different places, yeah, and I've had to have a word with a few people because it's just not <laughs> it's just not good enough. Yeah, that's um, interesting because obviously you're not paying for it or anything, but why, why is it important to you that staff dinner's still got to be good? More for me, I lose respect for that person if, Ooh, they, if they serve bad staff food because... It's that's a pride thing for yeah. me. It's like I'm a chef. Sure you can. If I'm cooking for a guest paying under two hundred pound, mm. or if I'm cooking for my kids, I, st- I still have to cook it properly. Yeah, and yeah, it still yeah. has to be nice. Yeah. Or even if I'm cooking for staff, and that's just my pride as a as chef or as a person that mm-hmm. I don't just go, oh well, that's for them. That doesn't matter being shit. That's yeah, not yeah, acceptable. Yeah. yeah. At all. And that's fair. yeah, I, I genuinely—that's where more of the anger and frustration comes from—is losing respect for that person. Like you're happy to serve that, yeah, really, really, yeah, yeah. You're you're proud of that, and you know this is your these are your colleagues you've got to work with all day, and you're you're fine serving them shit. Yeah, what what if it's good, but they they're doing the same thing every time? Like it's staffed in, is you doing a bolognese again? It's always bolognese with you. Does yeah. that happen? Oh yeah, that that does. Yeah, Cause you have to. <laughs> I remember speaking to Luke Butcher about this. Um, um, the head chef at Glimpern House and he banned mints because <laughs> mints anyone will tell you it's that easy order mints it's like 
ragus, like cottage pies. It's, it's everything. It is a lazy staff food, and yeah, we all love a bolognese and stuff. But, but not every day. if you're having mince every day, no, that's too much. But I remember he he, he banned it. Yeah. How do you deliver your feedback? Is it classic shit sandwich? Start with the positive. Get in there with the crap, and then depends on the day. Oh, really? <laughs> I had a, I had a guy once, right? Um, yeah. I won't mention his name, but this was at Mallory. Um, we, we had a lot of issues with him anyway. But um, so there, if you were on the meat and fish section, you'd do the meat or fish part of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Garnish section would do the veg part. Starter do the salad, so it's broken down and spread out mm-hmm. rather than one person doing everything on one day. And I said to him, I'd done like I've done a beef and potato curry. So I said, just, Lovely. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I need you to start to think for yourself for once. So <laughs> for once. I just don't want potatoes. So right. it's got potatoes in it. Don't give me potatoes. Right. So he gave me two types of potatoes. Not even nicely done. So we'd got the mash from the day before, which is like heavily in butter. Just yeah. heated it up and like the fat was splitting out of it. Oh. I think he'd realised he didn't have enough. So he went over to the brasserie kitchen, got some new potatoes, and he stirred new potatoes into this oh, smooth, greasy mash and served it with a beef and potato curry. And I, yeah, hit the roof. Oh, like, my word. That like, sounds awful. I asked for none and you give me two <laughs> shit ones. <laughs> oh, bless him. He's five kilo bag of rice out there. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got nothing in the locker, bless him. No. Uh, okay, next one here says, where are we? Mr. At Mr. Hospitality on Twitter says, what is the most interesting fact Sai has learned about the hospitality industry since starting the podcast? Ah, this um, would be interesting. Yeah, I was, try- I was thinking about this, and I think the biggest one for me, and it, sounds, it might sound simple on the face of it, is that I knew that there was a hell of a lot of hard work and sacrifice that goes into everyone's craft especially mm. at this level and there is no substitute for that you can't fast track the tens and thousands of hours that have gone into all of you guys career yeah but I think what's I was thinking how similar it is to like what we see from footballers you know when you see you, you just see the 90 minute game and, yeah. they, and you see them hit a free kick in the top corner as if they're just really talented and that's it mm. but you don't see them staying late at training doing 200 free kicks and missing 150 of them to get yeah. them in um, but it's even though you know that it's hard to actually think yeah. that you just see the game and yeah. you're just like oh, oh what a life as well just, but you don't yeah. see any of the injuries the sacrifice the, all the crap that comes with it yeah and it's the same yeah it's, yeah. The, it's the same with this industry even more so and especially with mine it's so different um, that I just didn't realise that even at, even at the very highest level it's just relentless and there's just no let up mm. and talking to all you guys there's like this uh this sort of sense between you all that I notice of we're all in the trenches together. Yeah. So, and yeah. that's that's so different to the industry that mm. I'm from, um, which is far more sort of, I guess, creative but relaxed and the hours of whatever. And it's just a very sort of like, I don't know, it's not very urgent. You know, no. whereas I think there's this relentlessness with chefs that even at this top level, maybe a part of me naively thought we'd come into this and all the head chefs at this at this level would be hands off with their restaurants, not really knowing mm-hmm. what's going on anymore. But still, everyone is absolutely yeah. knackered, yeah. <laughs> and you just and that how and that. But that's where the success comes from. It's not just because you're more talented than every other chef. Yeah. It might be in certain ways, but it's actually just a sheer exactly. hours and dedication. That is what it boils what it down to. And we all want better hours and stuff we don't all want to work like dogs but it's I've said it for so long and I've said it on podcasts as well that you you, if you want to be at the top you have to work hard Mm -hmm. and put the hours in you can't have both you can't have you know you can start to step back a bit 
you know when you've when you've got to where you want to go or to a good level or when you've got a good team of course you can and mm. that's I think that's what you should do um, to allow other people to come through and allow you to have a better life but you cannot be the best footballer yeah. Yeah. without putting all that no extra work track, in there? yeah you can't be the best chef without doing all that extra work so you can't moan about your hours and want to work 35 hours a week mm-hmm. and be the best chef if you want to work 35 hours a week that's fine yeah. there's nothing wrong with that and I'm not judging people like that mm-hmm. But you can't expect to be the best either. Yeah, you just you just can't. It no, won't will not absolutely. happen. I think, and similarly to that, the other thing I learned, and I think this was exemplified with Daniel Clifford when we spoke to him, is just how, no matter how far you guys have got in your careers and what you've achieved, still just that grassroots love of food yeah. is just so ingrained. Yeah, like even though people maybe got into the industry at the beginning because it was a means to an end or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's come up several times. There is still just like Daniel Clifford when he said, you know, this is a two star chef who's been established for years. And he had a chat with an Italian guy who told him how to do bolognese. So the first thing he did when he got back from the airport was run to Tesco yeah. to buy all the ingredients. And it's it's that level again of just sheer love and yeah. joy. And it, it without is. that, I don't think you'd have the drive to do those crazy hours that no, no one else not does. At all. Not you know, at all. and, and that, that is it's really good to learn actually. Mm. And I was really surprised just how intense all of those sort of aspects of it are yeah um, so yeah I think that's my answer good question oh, that good. Uh, one from Jordan here saying out of the nightcap guests that you've had on what is your dream kitchen bridge I think and he what- means brigade yeah I was going to say jo- and- I know Jordan actually yeah because <laughs> nickname's Wookie <laughs> oh, is it? Uh, what is your dream kitchen brigade Jordan and what, sh- what sections would they be on good question yeah how many, how many people so how many people are in I'm going to upset salt- some people here how many people are in the salt kitchen currently there's um, team. How many? T- four, including me. Okay. And then we've got Brett running the school upstairs. Okay. Um, so well, Okay. So Brett's carries Brett's, on with the school. Yeah. Let's forget about Brett. It's yeah. you and three <laughs> others then. Me and three that, others to run salt. If if Gibbo and everyone left. Yeah. But you just got nightcap guests. What's the dream team? Some people that ain't gonna oh. like. I'm gonna say no to Daniel Clifford oh, based wow. on um, <laughs> just because. He'd just take over and tell me off. <laughs> yeah. so this is my restaurant, mate. Yeah. What are you doing? He, he, can, he can come and eat. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Daniel, he's off the table. Who's next? Probably have... Probably have Callum Franklin in. Ooh. Put him on... Pastry. Larder and yeah. pastry. Larder yeah. and pastry is one section, so we could do some lovely tweens and yeah. pies, because he can do them better than I can. So yeah. that's, that's yeah, a no-brainer. Have him in there, yeah, yeah just, just part of the way. Callum's in. He, can, you know, he could obviously do our bread and stuff like that as yeah. well. Um, Perfect, two left. Yeah, two left. This is so, so difficult, yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly. Especially, I need a team of, like, 20-odd so I can pick everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else? Who do you reckon would fit personality-wise? Because I've got to think personality as well. Uh, I can picture Aaron up there. Ah, uh, Aaron, yeah. What do you reckon? Uh, Aaron would be great. And you, you're good, mate, so I can imagine you. Yeah, but work. Aaron's forgotten how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> he's been out of the game too long, I had no idea. Yeah, we speak all the time still, and yeah, he's um, he's actually opening up a new recruitment company soon. Called, oh, cool. uh, yeah, called Tasty, so it's, oh, uh, nice. it's really exciting. It looks uh-huh. great. Um but yeah, I'd have him in just because Gowan is one of my best mates. So yeah, yeah I'd have him there. I'd stuck him on the meat and fish. Just, yeah, yeah, nice. Just watch him go down and take the piss. <laughs> yeah. Nice. One more. One more in the kitchen from the nightcap guests. One more. Mm. I'd have um, I'd have Tim Allen, I reckon. Oh, would you? I didn't expect... I didn't just because, like... Like he's just such a phenomenal cook. Really? Like, okay. genuinely. Like, I worked with him a very little bit at the Wild Rabbit when yeah. he was there. And... 
he he's like one of the best technical chefs I've ever worked with wow, like okay, honestly cool. like incredible his technical ability and from the people he's worked with you can you can see it and I think mm-hmm. he's like I know he's got a star and he's a good name in that but I think he's vastly underrated yeah ooh that's a great pick I love mm. that you've picked that one okay nice one there's the dream team Callum Franklin Aaron Mullis Tim Allen <laughs> yeah. Paul Foster sorry to anyone I've upset <laughs> you've left know. like so many great ones off the board <laughs> oh, no, yeah. okay uh, next one here from Callum uh, Wilford who says what's the funniest thing you've seen someone one do in the kitchen I mean where do you even fucking start we've oh, probably, God, covered it's... probably a lot of them in our episodes but yeah I've, it'd be hard to pick one especially with all those boiling points I've done the pranks and things <laughs> yeah. like that um, it's hard it's hard to say because yeah there's, there's a lot that I just can't talk about either yeah, that's fair <laughs> I imagine but yeah, pick any one of those boiling points or I'm not going to ruin the story because I will use this as a boiling point in the future but if you've got this is something I did actually, but if you've got Sat Bain's book, the little story I oh, put in yeah. Sat's book, yeah, 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 that like I know it's something I did, but yeah, I still laugh about that. Now. <laughs> I still laugh can't about believe I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. Okay, one from uh, Chef Figliano on Instagram saying. Uh, when are you going to get Sat Baines on the show? Good question. Yeah, I have asked him, and he says he's up for it. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, just um, I know he was taking a bit of a break from media stuff for a bit and uh-huh. like oh, social media and stuff and calming down this was probably a bit before covid and stuff he spoke and yeah he was just trying to all of the outside things he had on he was trying to rein yeah, everything do, in and focus back on the restaurant so yeah, um, he used to do um he did great british menu back in the day didn't he yeah he did it in like then- two 2007 yeah, or something like, the, like that the og yeah. class when even yeah. marcus waring was a contestant wasn't he yeah um but then, yeah, I suppose he's, I haven't really can't think of much I've seen him on. In it does the James times. Martin show a bit. Yeah, is he does he take part in the Chef's Table episode of MasterChef sometimes? Yeah, he's normally there. He's normally yeah. there, isn't he? For he's that, normally there. Yeah, um, but yeah, you don't see him actually on a lot. No, not so not so much now as well. He's you know I think he picks like very cleverly and he picks the right shows that are right for the business because yeah. he's never been about the TV or the fame or anything like mm-hmm. that he, you know it works well for the business and he's all about his restaurant that's why he's not opening all restaurants everywhere else he's so focused on yeah, making yeah. his main place world class mm-hmm. that he doesn't want any of the distractions yeah, I, I think enough. that's yeah, yeah. you know my assumptions so, I can't remember I've asked him. you this before but has he come here yet to eat? no he's not been he did he was going to come was it January or January before but we were closed when he was closed but now we're open on the same days it's so difficult of course yeah yeah so so hard to would you just be sheer excited to have him come and show him everything you've achieved here or would you feel oh, nervous yeah. giving him food because no, he's like for a him. big sort of he's been to every house I've worked he'd yeah. come to Tunnel Mill uh, he'd come to Mallory a couple of times um yeah, one time when I wasn't there, I was at a wedding and I couldn't dip out of the wedding. Oh. So I was like proper nervous at this wedding, <laughs> just checking in with the guys. Yeah. Um, but um, no, yeah, of course, I'd love to have him. Yeah, up here. that'd be yeah. a great guest. And he will do at some point, as long as we don't close with COVID. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Uh, cool, we've got another one here from Ollie who says, uh, would Paul ever do Great British Menu again? Yeah, I think I've answered this before. No, I wouldn't. No, <laughs> There's nothing against it. It's yeah. a great, great show, and it's been great for me in my career. Like wholly positive. Yeah. Um, you still the fact you still have people mention it to you now, eight years later. It was, it was yeah. 20, the Olympic year, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. So, eight yeah, eight years is, later. That is shows ma- the, the power of it. So powerful. Yeah, I just think it's kind of it's gone now, and it's all changed. And I think when I was 
on it at first I'd only just become a head chef and yeah. they'd pluck me randomly and obviously going there against Daniel Clifford and Akhtar Akhtar had won it before and gone to the banquet and then Daniel you know, obviously Daniel is yeah. Daniel yeah, yeah, two star yeah. chef tough, when you think about it that was a tough it was yeah it bloody was <laughs> so you're like this up and comer and yeah. no pressure no expectation since doing it obviously achieved a lot with other places in this place As, I don't know be going in not as a previous winner or as a veteran, but with different expectation. It, yeah, would, it would feel a bit weird going well, in. that's why um, I was actually slightly surprised to see Niall Keating on recent series of that mm. because I felt like, you're right, he's actually got not anything to lose, that's wrong, but uh, I guess it's a profile thing, but he's, he, the standards he's going to be judged by... Mm are going to be so different compared to a lot of his competitors because of what he's yeah. achieved with Michelin yeah exactly and I, I think that kind of worked out everything's happened quite quickly for him um, you know totally deserved but when they recorded it mm. he had one star oh okay I didn't it was about that. two weeks after they recorded he yeah. got the second star yeah. and then obviously it was shown a few months later uh-huh. uh, so right. I didn't realise that was the timeline yeah. that's interesting so yeah. you're watching it he's a two star chef and they have to I assume they have to change the the audio over yeah, the top the, would, the voiceovers yeah. but yeah when they actually filmed it it was one star because it was he popped up here before um, they filmed it in like the September uh-huh. um, stars come out in October yeah. and it was shown in March of course yeah. you must be gutted if you're in his heat though going no kid you having a fucking laugh <laughs> two stars doesn't need to do this <laughs> you'd be a bit gutted wouldn't you uh, so is it like definitely never or never say never for doing it again do you reckon um I'd, I'd, I don't know really definitely never really it's mm. not again nothing against it it just, it just doesn't mm-hmm. yeah and I don't it's so much stress and pressure yeah, yeah. I don't want to oh, it looks I don't, stressful. I'm trying to remove stress from my life at the moment <laughs> not add more yeah it's so true especially when you love you love like, what would I be doing it for to promote the restaurant and stuff that's essentially it um, could, which is great promote the podcast mate oh and so, the podcast so, but it's BBC and it, they, yeah, they're not keen true. on that that's true. Um, but I can do that still going on say like fortunate enough to go back on soon with the James Martin show mm-hmm. and there's no pressure on that it's such a cool show to do oh yeah I was because um, like, like I said at the beginning of this podcast a lot of the day, a lot of the sort of daytime cooking shows can be a little bit stagey and stuff but mm. that is one of the more the better shows I've seen yeah. come out on British TV in a while for chefs because it's yeah, a I lot agree. more just seemed a lot authentically relaxed it's not forced it just seems very like casual and, and I did not realise just how big an influence James Martin and his shows have on on chefs and mm. uh, you know you were telling me about how you sold some books during that episode how oh, you got crazy, bookings yeah. to the restaurant just in that hour you were on TV and yeah. it is mental how mm. how big an influence oh, it's, those it's shows brilliant. have it's brilliant uh, cool, we've got another one here uh, from Steve-O, who says, what are your top five... Top five is a lot. You don't have to do top five, maybe, but top five UK Michelin-star restaurants. Okay. Oh, I'm not going to put these in any particular order. No, no, no. That's Because I'll change fair. my mind depending on how yeah. I'm feeling, because they're sure. all so close. Having matter. said that, number one, salt. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> how did you know? <laughs> um, I would say, like, Fat Duck just because it is phenomenal it's uh-huh. like 25 years old now which it that just doesn't seem right it's, it's been longer than I've been cooking yeah. it had wow is it 25 years yeah it's had two it's had three stars since I think 2004 mm-hmm. I went in 2005 and 2010 um, and it's just f- phenomenal for what it's done 
to food, yeah. the industry, um, like worldwide as well as the UK. Do you th- it seems like if um, someone was coming to Britain with a, a bottomless pocket and they said, I'm happy to go to recommend what I'm going to eat out once in the whole of the UK in the week I'm here and money's no object... Are you sending them to the fat duck? I think so because it's it's it just it delivers on everything. Is yeah. it like an event? Is a theatre? As like yeah, yeah. incredible food, internationally service, known. wine, everything. It just delivers beautiful little village. Yeah, it's, it's got like this little English village. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. tourists love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like ultimate. It's world worldwide, mm-hmm. world class. Yeah, safe um, pick. Well, I don't think anyone's disputing it. Yeah, and yeah, probably biased in some ways, but I mean I've. One of my favourite restaurants in the country is Savane's because mm-hmm. I think it's just so unique. There's yeah. nothing else like it. Really? The food, the way they do things, the setting. Yeah, what makes you say, what is it that makes it different to everywhere else? Is it all just a combination of all those things? Yeah, or and, is it- and it's really hard to say, and that's why I think my personal opinion is not a Michelin inspector and I don't know what they look for, because it has this uniqueness and this quality that you can't exactly put your finger on. That's mm-hmm. why I think it's worthy of three stars. Because of that, yeah, you know, you drive down this shitty little lane, past some gypsies and burnt-out car, <laughs> and you know that. Well, Sat loves telling that story, and you got yeah. to fly over in a golf course, and uh, maybe some tents with some people staying by the River Trent, and that. Yeah. And then you just you go into the gates, and it's like sure. just instant cut off from all yeah. of that. And then the way to welcome you, you could be could be anywhere in the world, and it's just beautiful little feels almost the welcoming you expect from the best country house but it's not country housey right got um, how many does it seat I've not been I've never been so I've ooh, I couldn't tell you because it's changed a lot since I worked there it's just got better and better and they've got a f- they've got a development kitchen restaurant which says six it's got two chef's tables uh-huh. and then probably about 40 in the restaurant I'd assume so probably around the 50-ish mark but right. I could be totally wrong but it's around that yeah. um but yeah, it, ju- it just delivers on on everything, and the food's immaculate. The food's unique. It's that food you know, you see it. Mm-hmm. It's that right. You know, Sat and John's. That's that's their food. Next level. Yeah, even if you look back a few years ago, you know it, and you know someone's doing a poor version, a bastardized version of it. It's like that's from Sats. <laughs> when food reaches that level, you can do that, or you're really? like, oh, that's Tom Kerridge's. Wow. You just know they've got that from Tom or been inspired by Tom. Uh-huh. And you go back to like this, it's like this linear like heritage of yeah. that's where it started. That's fascinating. Mm. Cool. So those two, any others in the top five? Um, I love um, Kitchen Table at Bubble Dogs. Mm, okay. Yeah, I've, I've said it for years. I love what James does. His food's fantastic, but just the setup, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. Just like the the U shaped table yeah, around the kitchen. About that before, yeah, absolutely. Love it. I was tucked away behind this, behind all those hot dogs he does, and you feel like you're in this little secret room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's awesome. wicked, cool wicked experience. space. Yeah, yeah I'd love to go there. Mm. And many more. More hall was probably best best meal I've had in the past couple of years apart from not like, taking Franson out of it but the best meal I've had in this country in the past couple of years mm-hmm. and more halls incredible and then like, they've surely got to be pushing to three stars yeah. like, they just get everything right so like the setting the food the service the ambience it's just right and it's so relaxed and nice. like any I feel like anybody could go and eat there and feel comfortable mm-hmm. you know yeah, like that's nice. which is exactly mm. but it's not rustic or anything like that it's super high end in that respect but you could go there never been to a nice restaurant in your life and feel a bit anxious yeah, yeah. but go there and be totally relaxed that's nice yeah that's mm. a key I think that's such an under- underrated element of high end 
cooking yeah. and restaurants is that accessibility. Like, you don't have to... It can still be incredible and quite expensive whilst not alienating people that are a bit nervous to be in a setting they're not used to. Yeah, exactly. It's such an underrated element, Exactly, and it's tough. To it's tough. Not many places get that right. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Cool. All great questions. Um, I've actually... I've got one for you, actually, okay. about sort of the podcast and what we've done over the past couple of series. What has been anything that you've learned through talking to the chefs that without maybe talking to them within the setting of the podcast, you wouldn't have necessarily found out about any of the guys or are there any like things that have themes that have come out of conversations we've had that you'd never thought of until we've done? This? Perhaps um, I don't think in some ways you feel like it's reinforced or made me realise even more how much you have got in common with these guys yeah. and how, you know, like I've known Daniel for years since <clears throat> before we did great british menu and then we got closer after that but then to sit and chat over the table in that environment with him you kind of you take people down off that pedestal you put them on a bit yeah. i think because you can relate to them more even like like daniel or yeah. or whoever and um i think that's been the most the most powerful thing it's oh, they're cool. just they're a guy like me yeah yeah but i tell you kind what, of, microphones do that mate that's, yeah you know doing this game as long as i have as well you um when you interview so many people you, you often as well i found like larger than life characters in normal life you suddenly mm. put them down with a microphone and it humbles them a bit because they're yeah. suddenly oh god i'm being recorded and the, but then it, you're right it levels the playing field so everyone's talking on the same level because we're all just sat here we've got the same mic yeah you know the same platform so to speak mm-hmm. so it's a leveler yeah which is quite cool and i think yeah i think that perhaps more than like the booze and Content, stuff yeah. like that <laughs> yeah. it, it is it does yeah. it is you're right I think that's the best way to put it it is really levelling and yeah. it does it just bring, brings it back down and you know, all, all chefs when you're younger you put these guys up on pedestals and yes they're incredible and talented but yeah. they've got a, a, they've had a similar or sometimes tougher journey than you mm-hmm. for sure mm. uh, one thing I've learned on this podcast is how delicious Gusborn's wine is yeah <laughs> I, mean, I've never, I mean obviously yeah. they sponsor us I'm go- <laughs> but I have never like we've the amount of Gusborn wines I would have never drunk that much of like, beautiful expensive wine if I hadn't have done this podcast and yeah, I'm very grateful for that range so much no I either. definitely wouldn't have or learnt as much as I have yeah. uh, you know so that is whilst it's a cheesy plug for their <laughs> for our sponsors true. it is so true because yeah. they, it's delicious and I've had so much you'll be out it. now ordering a Chardonnay and like yeah. it's just not the same yeah. Not the same yeah. as the 2017 version. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Cool. Uh, anything else to debate, discuss, talk about? No, just looking forward. We've we've recorded a, two, a couple, haven't we? Yeah. But we're not yeah. going to say who it is, and we've got another recording planned next week. Yeah, yeah. so we. I think like we've sort of said before, we, we don't want to release the rest of series three until we've got them all but we've, we're nearly there we've only we've got one more to record and then just one more to get so yeah. we should be releasing the rest of series three hopefully in the next sort of month six weeks or so at the very most yeah, um, yeah and then we'll try and roll into series four as quickly and they are the plans aren't they to keep yeah, going exactly. um, and we'll endeavour to do so so uh, yeah thanks so much for your questions um, that felt really good to do that so maybe we should do that every so often maybe in between series yeah, just like catch idea. up and, and it's also nice to you know with all the covid crap going on and the state of the industry and you know in a month's time it might change it's good to sort of check in and see yeah. where we're at and sort of talk and really about good it. questions as well yeah, yeah really good. really good questions you can keep sending them to us at the nightcap underscore pod facebook twitter instagram all the usual places or you can just dm paul and i pester us we love it it's great um and uh yeah series three coming soon and thanks for downloading brilliant thank you